Last weekend, we began a three-week series of meditations on the book of James. Uh, Last Sunday, we looked at chapter 2 and the importance of uh, being merciful to one another as God is merciful to all of us. If you uh, weren't able to worship, that sermon is on our website as an audio file. You're welcome to go there and listen to it. But I want to say something more about last weekend before we move ahead now to this third chapter reading on wisdom. Um, How many of you were here last weekend to meet the beautiful people that were here from Steelbridge? Um, After the 11 o'clock service, uh, we had continued fellowship, and one of the men who was here uh, shared a little bit more about his journey, and um, I have his permission to tell you what he just felt way too shy to share from the pulpit when he was asked to come forward. Um, One of the young men... uh, is Native American who was here last week, and he said that for him, for him, uh, life on the reservation was just full of darkness and despair, um, lots of death, lots of drug abuse, and he knew he just needed to get away. And so on his own, he came to Albuquerque and uh, he said, I spent several days in a row with what little money I had in my pocket. Um, trying to get a job, wash floors, clean toilets, flip hamburgers, anything. Nobody would hire me, and when I ran out of money, I was on the streets. And he said, I started doing bad things. And uh, his testimony that I want all of you to know is that uh, for the last three or four years, he said, I've spent about 10 months out of every year behind bars, rightly so, for all the bad I've done. But he said, that last time I was in jail, I heard about Jesus, and I heard about Steelbridge. And I'm now in my my sixth month. And what some of you don't know is that when a person commits to this program, a two-year program of transformation, uh, the first 90 days, they are confined to quarters on campus. I mean, they don't don't leave. So everyone that was here last week has made it to the three-month mark. And uh, this brother in Christ just wanted me to tell you, thank you so much for being the kind of congregation that supports Steelbridge because he said, without it, I don't know where I'd be. I'd probably be back in jail. But now he has hope. Now he's gaining wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. And he is uh, praying for a future that is bright. And then he said, kind of with a wink, uh, so tell your people they don't have to worry about me breaking in their homes or smashing their car windows anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm a changed man. God is working on me, and I want to have a good life. So I just want to reiterate how honored and blessed I am to be part of a congregation that's not just looking inward, uh, but looking outward to the wider world and all of its needs. And you are blessing and touching lives that uh, it's just a sweet, precious thing. Um, so thanks for your generosity and thanks for being a mission-minded congregation. Uh, today we look at now the third chapter of James. And having heard uh, our first reading that Brad read for us, you probably know the theme is wisdom. And if you look in the bulletin, it even says so. So, who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. For if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. 
Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. As I was preparing for this weekend of worship and meditating on this text and doing what every pastor does every week, preparing another sermon, uh, my mind kept racing back to the 70s, um, to college. And a friend of mine, a fraternity brother uh, by the name of Scott, he was brilliant. He was a 4.0 student. Uh, Those of us who double majored thought we were something special, but he was a triple major, a business, economics, and political science. And this guy who got straight A's rarely studied, which really annoyed all the rest of us. We had to work hard for our grades. But once Scott attended a lecture or did a reading assignment, I mean, he knew the material, it stuck with him. He was absolutely categorically brilliant. Valedictorian of his high school back in Iowa and graduated from Luther College in Decorah, Iowa with top honors. He was so smart, one of the smartest people I've ever known. But um, in those days, he was not wise. He had several brushes with death, usually involving um, illegal drugs and way too much alcohol. Uh, He totaled not one, but two vehicles during our four years of undergraduate study. Uh, nearly drowned late one night in the winter when he decided it was a perfect time to go swimming in one of the uh, rock quarry pits out in the country. And uh, in one winter night, um, he decided it would be really cool to jump from a second-story window, assuring the rest of us that the two or three feet of snow would break his fall. Well, there was a break, and it was his ankle. Compound fracture. Never seen one of those till that moment. It's not pretty. He had lots of knowledge. He is a smart guy, one of the smartest men I've ever known. But there's a big difference, huh, between knowledge and wisdom. A man or a woman can have all kinds of accumulated knowledge, worldly knowledge, and have little, if any, wisdom from on high. Conversely, I've known people who never finished high school And they're some of the wisest men and women I've ever known in my life. Paul asks the question to the Corinthians. James asks the question as well. Who is wise among us, the people of God? Who is wise among those of us who follow Jesus? That's the question before us this morning. And neither Paul nor James are looking for, in answer to that question, the presentation of a resume, an academic record, a job title, or honorary degrees. It has nothing to do with these worldly things. Instead, wisdom is equated with our action, with our behavior, the way in which we live, and the way in which we treat other people. 
James insists that true wisdom is not just a matter of intelligence, but is rather a matter of gentleness, generosity, being merciful. And such wisdom shows no partiality or hypocrisy. Yes, in the world, all kinds of distinctions are made among us. White collar, blue collar, college grad or not. You get categorized, you get labeled, and so do I by the standards of the world. But among God's people, there is to be no such partiality or favoritism. Because we live by a wisdom that is from above. It is spirit-born. And the Word of God today tells us we see this wisdom perfectly, perfectly revealed in Jesus He is God in the flesh. Therefore, he possesses all knowledge, omniscience. But in addition to this knowledge of all things, Jesus then shows us what true wisdom is all about. You think on Jesus this morning. You look at his life. You look at the good fruit and the mercy that James describes. You see that in Jesus. He loved those the world deemed unlovable. He touched all those the world deemed unclean. He even forgave those who mocked him as he hung dying and suffering on a cross. There's knowledge and there's wisdom, and they are not the same. Martin Luther understood the distinction well. In his day. And he reminds us that even the devil himself knows Jesus. Even the devil has knowledge of the evil one. But Satan does not love God or serve Christ. The devil has no wisdom that is kind and loving and generous and gentle. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. And he's only good for breeding contempt and hatred and jealousy and enmity and arrogance and violence. He knows Jesus, but he doesn't trust Jesus and doesn't have the wisdom from on high. Paul reminds us that if we're going to be looking for wisdom, we better not look for it by worldly standards, because by worldly standards, Jesus is foolishness. We preach Christ crucified, and that seems so silly to the world. But to those whom God has called... Christ crucified is the very power of God and the very wisdom of God. God's wisdom, says Paul, you want to see it? You want to understand it? Then look to the man of sorrows. Christ crucified is our wisdom. And the world calls this nonsense. The world calls this foolishness. Why? A beaten, bloody, bruised, betrayed man hanging on a cross looks like anything but success or power or intelligence. In this world, a smart man, a wise woman, a careful person would have avoided such a tragic ending. But Paul reminds us that Christ crucified is the will of God, it is the power of God, and it is the wisdom of God. For centuries upon centuries, men and women of our human race have wondered, who? Who's out there? Who who is God? In ancient Greece and in a few of today's 
prestigious university classrooms, philosophers still ask, well, what is God? If there is a God, what is God like? And many, including some of you, in the darkness of your own bedrooms late at night, discouraged, disappointed, lonely, afraid, hurting, have asked, so, so where is God now? Where's God? Jesus is the answer to all these questions. Who is God? Look to Christ. What is God like? Look to Jesus. Where is God? Well, in your suffering, he meets you as the suffering servant. And he was forsaken so that you might never be forsaken. We look to the cross. And what God knows, as the all-knowing one, is that without him, we may be successful, very successful by worldly standards. But without the wisdom of God, Christ crucified, we're just as lost as the young man whose testimony I shared with you, who is making one bad decision after another, facing a future of utter darkness, and now he's standing in the light. Without the wisdom of God, without Jesus, we'd all still be trapped in sin, and we're all, according to Scripture, as good as dead. And in his love and in his wisdom, God decided to take your place and mine on the cross. By his blood, the blood we'll share this morning, we are cleansed. And by his broken body on the cross, we who are broken in so many ways are healed and restored and adopted as God's beloved children. Yeah, the worldly wisdom teaches us that smart people do everything they can to evade, avoid pain and suffering. And yet God chose pain and suffering for you. God chose the cross for you. God chose to die for you. And God chooses to love you and me. That's amazing grace. Yeah, I thought about Scott this week, my old classmate. So smart. Off the chart, smart but not wise. And since that sunny day in 1979 when we all received our diplomas and went our separate ways, I often wondered if Scott was alive or dead and if he continued making foolish choices that might have put him in the grave. How happy I was one day here at Faith when one of the Women in our front office said, Bruce, you've got a phone call from an old classmate named Scott, and he wants to talk to you. There he was on the other end of the phone, and I was just rejoicing that he was alive. And for a moment, I thought, maybe he's calling me from prison. But he wanted to know if I could help him and his congregation as they were searching for a new pastor. He was on the search committee. How surprised I was he was still alive. How utterly surprised I was he was a leader in his church. Now serving God and loving God 
as a member of the body of Christ. Oh yeah, and he went on to tell me in that phone conversation that he earned several million dollars by the time he was 50 and retired at 52, and so I had to deal with the problem of coveting, but that's another sermon. (laughs) But smart Scott finally gained some wisdom, and it made all the difference. It always does. So speaking of the difference... (laughs) I want to share with you a quote that many of you know, but sadly, most people only know in part. Does this sound familiar? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You heard that before? I've seen that on plaques, on posters, power statements in executive offices, and people who um, go to AA and Al-Anon, they know this. But see, that's just part of the serenity prayer. This wasn't invented by AA. It was written by a Lutheran, Christian, pastor, and theologian by the name of Reinhold Niebuhr. And he's the one who gave the world this prayer. And it doesn't stop there. So listen to the whole prayer. God grant me serenity to accept things I can't change. Give me courage to change what I can. Give me wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next and it ends with the word Amen because it is a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen